Jeff Fuller with you, Jay Fuller Interviews. Please subscribe on YouTube, Jay Fuller Interviews. We're on uh, Instagram and Twitter, Jay Fuller Interviews. And you can certainly join the Facebook group, Jay Fuller Interviews. And I'm so excited to have us on all the uh, podcasting platforms, the Backfire Podcast with Jeff Fuller of Jay Fuller Interviews. We are on Google Podcasts and iTunes. Just search the Backfire Podcast with Jeff Fuller of Jay Fuller uh, Interviews. I certainly love people's stories because it will make our stories better, less ignorant, and more impactful. So take the time and listen to unlearn what you always thought was right, to relearn what is right, and to learn from one another. So one with a tremendous story is Sam Perkins. Sam, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Jeff. It's been uh, been a long time. Yeah, it's been a long time. I remember uh, when I was on WDEV, the local radio station in uh, Waterbury, Vermont, several years ago, you came and uh, it was not the highlight of UVM basketball, but it certainly was some fun days. Uh, yeah. Did you enjoy making the trip to cover the Catamounts? Yeah, man, it was always it, it was always fun, you know, when I was covering them. It's, uh, uh, you know, it's um, it was always exciting. It was fun to go up there and take in some games when they had, you know, my guys like Taylor and TJ way back in the day. You know, it's not so fun a place to go to travel to as an opponent if you're going up there to play. Um, but, but you know, once you get – if you're not going up there to play them, and, and chances are lose if you went and played them any time within the last, I don't know, 20 years at this point, you know, going back to 2001, 2002, if you were – Going up there to play against them, chances are you were you were losing based on the odds. But outside of that, you know, it's always a really fun time. You know, even though it's a couple hours from from the Boston area, it was it's a great time, great atmosphere. Um, you know, great teams. Patrick Jim is just such a historic place to be. There's such an energy up there. Um, you know, even long after it's funny after like Tom Brennan had retired and TJ and Taylor had had moved on. You know, Trevor Gaines, one of my my all-time favorite people uh, was no longer up there. Um, even lesser guys like Grant Anderson, Scotty Jones, all these guys that, you know, it's like it's one of those places that you can still kind of feel that energy and still feel all those people um, yeah. even after they had moved on to different phases of their life. So it was always a good time to go up there. So, Sam, you went to uh, Northeastern. Uh, where did you grow up? I grew up in Cambridge, Massachusetts, um, which is right across the river from Boston uh, City. Um uh, when I was there, it was very diverse. I think, unfortunately, it's it's really becoming more and more wealthy and elite and gentrified. And so I could never afford to move back there, as could very few people that I grew up with. But when I grew up in Cambridge, it was really, I couldn't think of a better place to grow up as far as I met so many different people from so many different walks of life, races, socioeconomic backgrounds, religions. Um, and it was a city. And there are all different parts of the city that have different vibes. Um, but it wasn't so massive that, you know, it swallowed you. Uh, yeah. Hey, so, um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, we're talking about one bid wonders. Um, <laughs> what gave you the idea for the one bid, one bid wonders and, uh, how you just kept that going. And I just want to state that on Facebook, you've been reliving so many different memories by <laughs> Facebook posts, which are a lot of fun, but where did that begin? So it's funny, you know, um, growing up, sports were a big part of my life and um, played, I would say all of them, but I wouldn't say all of them. I would say, you know, 
uh, baseball, basketball, football were like my life growing up, up through high school. Um, and, uh, had the opportunity to play some after high school and college. Uh, and I don't really talk about my own sports career much because of things that happened in my life that make it kind of a, a tougher subject to talk about. But I would say that, um, it was a connection with my dad who I was really, really, really close with. And, um, you know, when I was a little kid, grew up going to like UMass Amherst games back when UMass was, you know, the number one team in the country and they had John Calipari and Marcus Camby and Lou Rowe and all those guys. And it was a time to really bond with my dad. And when I got into high school, um, I had all my own sports going on during that season. So making the drive out to Amherst wasn't really as easy and UMass wasn't really as good at that point anymore. And we started going to Northeastern and BU games cause they were right in Boston and, and it was a very different feel, but, but I really loved it. And it was a way to stay connected with my dad. You know, you get to high school and I think it's natural for a lot of us that we want to do our own thing and maybe we don't spend as much time with our parents anymore because it's, you know, we want to all want to be cool and be independent and, and whatever. But it was a way that, you know, it was unspoken, but it was a way that we could still do stuff together. And my dad had been, you know, a really great basketball player and played out at UMass Amherst when during his own time. And, um, I wasn't blessed with his height, unfortunately, but, uh, um, you know, it was a way for us to stay connected. And I really started getting into going to those, those games. And then, um, you know, he, he had a car accident, he passed away, you know, I was having my own beginnings of my athletic career in college when that happened. And then I, I really, uh, kind of really struggled for a long time and, um, had, had a hard time sticking with sports, which had been my life up until that point. Didn't. It just kind of felt like he wasn't there anymore, but uh, I still continued to kind of follow the America East and be involved in that, even after my own career came to an end. And um, I, I didn't know what I wanted to do. You know, when I got done in college, I had the opportunity to play some professional baseball, and then that didn't really do it for me. Um, I just, my heart wasn't in it. My head wasn't in it. And I was like, man, what am I going to do here? And uh, I like to write, and I continue to follow the America East, and I some reason I, I just really love the human interest nature of it the small colleges that aren't covered you know it was kind of on a downswing at that point um because you had had taylor and tj and vermont winning against syracuse and then the league was kind of rebuilding northeastern had left and you know it just it wasn't as it didn't have the same popularity wasn't at the same kind of level that it had been at but i just started going to these games and was like you know no one's ever really told these guys stories. There's nowhere when out there when I was in undergrad, all the players and stuff, there was nowhere for them to have their stories told. Yeah. And why don't I try and do that? And so it just kind of started from there. And it was a way for several years. I, I think the only way I, it gave me something consistent in my life when I was really struggling to, to find consistency and to, to make sense of, of lost. Um, Cause before my, you know, a month before my dad's accident, my best friend actually had taken his own life. So it was a really uh, jarring time for me um, and a traumatic time. And, and I didn't really know what to do. And it just gave me something to do while I was figuring it out. I had no idea what I was going to do for work. I had no idea what I was going to do in life. I was pretty lost. And and just going to the different games and driving around and stuff, you know, back then I made it in my brain. It was much more of a big deal than certainly I think anyone else took it as probably coaches, players, friends. They're all kind of like, why is someone spending this much time with this league? But for me, in my mid to late 20s, 
And I had a lot of arrested development back then. So I was really not maturity wise there after everything had happened. It was like, it just kind of gave me something consistent um, to do while I kind of pieced everything together. I know I've described it like this before and certainly nowhere near as dramatic or inspiring, but like in the movie Forrest Gump, when he just kind of starts running across the country back and forth, while his brain is kind of making sense of all the different traumas of all the different losses that he's had in life and all the different things that he's been through. And he just kind of ran to kind of like put the past behind him. They say in there, you know, it was kind of like that for me was just doing something consistently while my brain can kind of start to process everything and, and start to try and put the pieces back together and figure out what do I do with the rest of my life? You know? And, and at the time I thought, you know, I want to be a, a writer and that's what I'm going to do. And this is going to be the stepping stone to that. But, Somewhere along the way, I, I realized that that wasn't what I wanted to do professionally. I had opportunities to really make a career out of journalism. To, it would have involved moving. It would have involved covering things that weren't, they weren't uh, college basketball, America East, that sort of stuff. And I just kind of realized, you know, this isn't – I love America East and covering that. But, but being a professional journalist and kind of bouncing around is an industry that is, continues to be in, in flux and it's – not a place that's easy to make a career out of and, and just realizing you're going to have to go places and live places and, and, and cover things that are, that are not what you are passionate about, but that's the nature of the game. I, I kind of really, you know, this isn't what I want to do, <laughs> but, but covering the league helped me start to try and figure out what I was going to do with the rest of my life. Sam, what was your major at Northeastern? Uh, so I got my graduate degree in journalism. I, my undergrad degrees in English. Um, so yeah, but it was one of those degrees that I bounced around from a bunch of different schools and like, I just liked to write. And so I took so many English classes that, uh, it was like, oh man, I got to figure out a major and I've got transfer credits from a million different schools and, oh wow, I'm all the way basically at an English degree. So let me just do that. And, uh, and, and also in undergrad, I got, I um, doubled in history, but it, that was just kind of a product of like the classes that I took when I had no direction and, and, uh, no real parental guidance or anything, you know, in hindsight, I wish, I wish that I was, that I was more available to, and had more guidance to really have a plan in undergrad. Um, cause I think it would have helped me out a lot more and I wouldn't have had all of this kind of bouncing around, you know, English is a wonderful thing and um, literature and all that stuff. It, it's, it, it enriches all of us so much as people, but um, it's not an easy degree to make a career out of. <laughs> so, Sam, Sam, share with me how this piece came about. ABC News. Oh the- yeah, that was, that was crazy. Cause that was a couple of years after one bit wonders came to an end. I ended one bit wonders in 2015 uh, and that I think was 2017. So the way that that story came about and I was shocked was, so a kid that I was, that had written for me for one bid wonders named Martin Kessler, who went on to, uh, be a producer for only a game on NPR, which was a, a wonderful show that I listened to as a kid all the way up until it just came to an end this year, which is a real tragedy because it, it really focused on, on the human interest aspect of sports, uh, all different levels. Uh, well, anyways, Martin had written for me for One Bid Wonders um, during the final years. Great writer. Went on to getting a career as a producer. Um, in March 2017, he contacted me and said, hey, you know, 
we're doing all this March Madness content. I'd really love to have you as a guest and do a story on you and on One Bid Wonders because of the nature of One Bid Wonders and being that personal connection with my dad. So I said, hey, sure. Uh, you know, I don't know why you want to have me on the show, but yeah, I'll, we can do it. That'd be cool. Um, and we did it. And then like, maybe a month later, if that, uh, I just happened to check my my LinkedIn profile and uh, I had a message on there. I never used LinkedIn because I was a teacher at that point and I've been a teacher. Um, and teachers don't use LinkedIn. <laughs> we use School Spring. Um, but uh, there was like a message in there, and it was this guy, uh, producer for ABC News. Um, uh, and I was just like, he, he said he wanted to do a story on me, and I was kind of shocked. Um, David Fizikas is his, was, is his name, and he was a, a producer for, for ABC News. And, and I just was like, really? And he we talked a lot and he asked for contacts for different people and photos and different things and i sent him it and then he flew out and he interviewed me and filmed me and, and you know interviewed me twice and i kind of wasn't expecting it and all of a sudden it it was up and that was crazy um you know it's too bad it didn't happen when i was doing one bid wonders <laughs> because who knows what it would have happened for the trajectory of the website but you know in, in all honesty I, by the time you know I think things played out the way that they should have played out with One Bid Wonders. I couldn't have done it forever. Um, mm -hmm. And and I wound up, uh, I think I'm a much better teacher than I was a writer and um, much happier to be doing that. But it was pretty cool. Um, but it is funny to think about, you know, what would have happened to the site if if we had kept if we had kept One Bid Wonders going for another two years and, we, and the site had been going when UMBC became the first 16 seed to ever right. – you know, beat a one and, and uh, they had done that documentary on me, you know, that all would have happened in like a 12 month span. That would have been something, but uh, um, you know, that's just the way things kind of played out. Yeah. What I find fascinating about your stories, not just one bid wonders, or you had this a drive to uh, follow the America East teams, uh, but it's figuring out where that drive came from and knowing that you were so close to your dad and just how, uh, his death impacted you. Um, I had opportunity to uh, interview Todd Marinovich, who had that ESPN yeah. 30 for 30 special about him and just the connection where he still loves his dad. And he said it might have been misguided love, but he knew his dad loved him. And then Kareen McCandless, who her brother was Chris McCandless, uh, John Krakauer's book, Into the Wild. And how everything happened with that family. It just it drove him, as you said, just to drive around in your vehicle to find that uh, mental space to come to terms with everything that took place. Yeah. When you talk to different people that have gone through tragedy or adversity or ask you how you get through, is it as simple as driving or share with us uh, the context? No. Of that? You know, I think it's different for everyone. And um, I think that it's really important. And it took me a really long time to figure this out. And, and I really didn't really start to put my life together until I reconnected with my now wife um, right around the same time, a little bit before the, the documentary came out. And, um, and, and she is a, she's had a background and she's uh, social work uh, and being, she was a clinical director for several years. Now she runs her own private practice. Um, but she really, you know, I'd never been in therapy. I'd never done anything like that. And um, you know, I've been, in therapy kind of in and out of it but like uh since her 
And she's also given me someone to really share it with and to kind of um, process everything with. And I think it's really important that we, we get help for these things, which so many yeah. people don't do. And I see it from her and the work that she does. She works with trauma survivors and, and uh, you know, just how important it is to not be going through this stuff alone. And if I had, I think, been able to, I mean, certainly if I had had her in my life sooner, but, uh, you know, if I had found a therapist, you know, that I uh, connected with and, and did that kind of work with and um, just didn't keep all that stuff inside for so long, I, I'd like to think, I think I would have been able to have started moving forward sooner. Um, I think it's just really important that we don't go through things alone and we don't keep this sort of stuff inside because it's really hard to deal with all these feelings of whatever it may have been, whatever the trauma or the tragedy may have been. It's hard to face these things out, you know, head on and be talking about them and it's painful. So we don't want to do that. But in the long run, it's way better to start doing the trauma work, doing the healing, doing all that sort of stuff and not carrying it inside. Then people carry things inside for 10, 20, 30 years, the rest of their life. And, and they're never able to fully move forward. Um, yeah, I enjoyed how you just said that forward because I think some people want us to move on. I don't think we move yeah. on but we can move forward. I, I just, I agree so much with that. And, you know, I'll never forget when my, and this was very soon after um, my dad died. Uh, you know, unfortunately I saw a lot of the, from my dad. And then also, you know, years later, back in, in um, 2016, my mom was killed in a car accident. So it's, you know, both parents separately is crazy, but I saw it again when my, when my mom passed away that I saw a lot of the, and not good stuff, the way that people deal with grief, uh, with both of their families, different people, they, people have a need to, to place blame, and it op often gets kind of unloaded on loved ones, on people that were close to people who died. It's really sad. Um, but when after my dad had died, um, you know, there was a lot of real unpleasantness with members of his family, and one member of his family um, kind of said to me, and I'm 19, you know, kind of about like collecting his stuff from his dad, my grandfather's house was like closure is needed. And this is like a month after he died. And it's like closure. Like, what are you talking about? I'm, I'm closure. I'm not even processing this yet. And, and we, we never are able to move on from things like this, but we're able to deal with them over time. And everybody heals at a different rate like I said, I think it's really important for people to, to get help and not keep things inside. But, um, but you don't ever like, like get over it. You just, you, you're able to, um, you know, the way that you phrased it, I think was, was, was really, was really great, but it's like, you don't, you don't ever like get over it and where it's no longer part of your life. It's still a loss that I feel every day. Um, but you're able to start to, become a whole person again and start to move forward, not yeah. on or past it, but move forward and continue and start move fo moving forward again in life. I think. Yeah. When my mother-in-law passed away the summer we got married, uh, the pastor told us that uh, there will be those that say, you know, hasn't there been enough time? But he said, grieve long, grieve hard. And it doesn't matter what time of your life, maybe 20 years from now, maybe 50 years from now. Yeah. That you'll grieve long, grieve hard. How many siblings do you have, Sam? I have one brother. Um, Older or younger? He's younger. He's four years younger than me. 
Did you feel pressure to lead being the oldest? I don't know. I think me and my brother's relationship is pretty complex and I wouldn't say that we are the closest um, and we've handled things differently. I do think that I put a lot of pressure on myself after my dad and, and, and then after our, our mom died as well um, years later to try and like look out for him and do the right thing. And I wouldn't say that that really worked out best for me. Um, I, I think I thought if you, you know, just take care of everybody, things will work out. And, uh, in hindsight, I think, you know, I've heard the, the expression that like, if you're in a plane, you have to put on your own oxygen mask first, if they come down before you can put someone else's on. And that's something that I didn't really ever take to heart. Um, hmm. and, uh, I definitely see the merit of that phrase now hmm. in hindsight. Sam, have you sought out mentors or different role models to connect yourself with, or do you feel like your wife fills some of those voids? Well, she's definitely a role model for me, even though she's um, five years younger than me. She's someone that she's been through a tremendous amount. She's completely self-made. She has an, is just amazing at what she does, and she's um, an amazing person in the things that she's overcome and the things that she's dealt with and, and you know, without getting into specifics on that, she's definitely the person that's, that's one of my two heroes, the other being my, my four-year-old son. Um, but, but she is a, definitely a role model for me and the person that I strive to be more like, uh, and to be like, I don't think I'll ever get to her level, but she's who I strive to be like. Um, I think over the years I gravitated towards different people that I admired, um, that I came into cross paths with, you know, largely that were in the America East players, coaches. Um, and, uh, I never explicitly said it to them and, and I don't think it would have been fair to them at the time to be saying that, you know, Oh, Hey, I, I look at you as kind of a role model, but there were people that I tried to emulate. And, um, I think over the years as I've got older and older, you know, more and more of those people kind of, you, you see that they're, uh, you know, they're, they're human and they're fallible. And, um, but there's still a few that I look up to that I, that I, to this day, you know, Austin Ganley is a guy who played for UNH. Uh, he was a senior in college when I was a senior in high school who I've connected with. Um, and he's someone that I really look up to as a, um, as a, as a father, as a person, uh, a guy staying don't who played for BU um, someone that I really, really, really look up to as a father and as a person, uh, and, um, you know, Dane's advice and, and provided me a tremendous amount of, of help when I was going through some tougher times. Um, uh, I think, uh, one of my best friends is Nick Billings, who was the arch enemy of Vermont during the Coppenrath years. Um, but he's, uh, he's a guy that I wouldn't say as a role model, but Nick and I kind of struggled together with things over the years and we got really, really close and, it was he's you know someone that I could be just honest with about struggles and 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 kind of human failings that we all have. Um, so um, I, I think I probably wish that I had built more of a support system when I was going through all that, reached out more to people. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, you know, my, my wife is is the big one, definitely. So Sam Perkins makes some time on Twitter. It's at one bid wonders. Instagram is echoes in an empty arena. Uh, so with your son, there's no, nothing like being a dad. 
Would yeah. you have any objections if he grew up a Vermont Catamounts fan? Um, you know, it's funny. I so there, there's a, there's there's a lot of layers to that one there, but I very much am of the school of thought with my son that I am try to support him in whatever he's passionate about, try and introduce him to everything, and then let him kind of create his own path and and just support him. You know, um, my dad was like that with me in sports, and sports were such a huge part of my life and athletics until my dad's death, and he didn't force me into it, even though he was a great athlete. He introduced me to stuff, and, and I, I just really took to it and was really passionate about it. You know, my son is four right now. He is extremely musical. Um, hmm. That doesn't come from me. <laughs> I have no musical background at all. He, he, is, he is like, uh, you know, everyone's kid is special and is amazing. Um, and everyone says, oh, my kid's a prodigy or whatever. And, and say anything like that, all I will say is that he has been, when he was really young, he was a little verbally delayed. Uh, and he got early intervention help for that. But before he could speak, he could sing. And he mm. could um, pick up music. And he's like an audiovisual learner. And he uh, started this past year playing with the Northeastern and the BU pep bands at their basketball games and started off the toy trumpet. Uh, he just loved music and he went to the game. Was, I took him to the games because I was like, oh, this is cool. My dad started taking me. And he was just so enthralled with the bands. We already knew that he was about music. And then the Northeastern band one day, he, he wanted to bring his toy plastic trumpet to the game and they like beckoned him over and asked him if he wanted to play with them. And it just from there, it just took off and he picked up all the moves and could listen to the music and, and he would be able to point out just from hearing it one time through uh, all the different instruments. Like this is the tubas, this is the trumpet, that's the drums, that's the guitar. Um, and then I got him, uh, it's called a pocket trumpet, which is like a real brass trumpet, but it's compacted down. Um, and it's, it's for adults and I got it and I knew nothing about musical instruments, wind instruments. And I thought, Oh, you just blowing it, whatever. Uh, but with, I've learned, with wind instruments, with a trumpet. It's different than a saxophone where you have to vibrate your lips. Yeah, yeah. And so when it came in the mail, I tried blew into it and it wasn't making any noises. And my wife, who is very musical, um, blew into it and wasn't making any noises. And I looked up videos. I was like, oh, this is broken. And then I saw like the way that you make sounds. And I'm like, oh, my son Jack's not going to be able to do this. So I had to talk with him. You know, he's only three. Like, hey, bud, this came. You knew it was coming. But, uh, but, uh, you know, you're, you're, you might not be able to make it, make any noise for a while. And as soon as he picked it up, he's blowing and it's, he's making it make music and he can hear and play along and do all these different notes and, and, you know, all these parents gush about their kids. So I don't, I don't want to be, I'm sure it could be lost in that, but like the conductor for BU, my son does some lessons with him now over zoom and the conduct conductor for Northeastern when, uh, COVID hit my son started doing like zoom jam sessions with the bands for the two schools. They're amazed. They said that a kid that's four and at the time he was three, when he first started playing a real trumpet should not be able to make sound that, you know, we're talking about eight, nine years old is when kids yeah. tend to start being able to pick up the trumpet, start to learn how to make noise on it. And he like plays along. He does all the different notes. He'll listen to a song once through. And after hearing it once, he can pick up and play along he keeps cadence and beat and melody and all that. It's really remarkable. Um, you know, if he grew up a Vermont fan, you know, it's, it's, he can be a fan of whoever he wants. It would be great if he got into sports. I would love that. 
but I'm going to love whatever he does as long as he's passionate about something. Right now he's passionate about trains and about music. So we go watch freight trains all the time together, and I set him up for music. You know, he was going to this summer to play with the BU band. I got a lot of, of Instagram videos up of him playing with the BU band. You know, COVID restrictions now. He can't really play with any of the bands right now. But we make do on Zoom. We make do him watching old videos of the bands that he plays along with them. And, um, you know, uh, University of Vermont is, it's, it's, uh, it's a, it's a, I have a lot of complex feelings about it. I love the time back then. There's been stuff as of late that has come out with the athletic department that to me is really, it, it's, it's really, 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 uh, been upsetting to learn. And it's been another thing of me to have to try make peace with, with, uh, Kendall Ware situation. And he's a swimmer at the university of Vermont and, yeah. and, uh, there, you know, allegedly, was raped by a men's basketball player and, and the alleged handling by, uh, the, the, um, athletic department there has been really, if it went down the way it is alleged, it is a real disgrace. Um, and, and this is stuff that I've learned over time because as a teacher, which I've been doing now for six years, um, two years ago, I got a job as a teacher in a school that was connected with the girls residential and 90% of my students were sexual trauma survivors. And I really became trauma informed. There's a lot of trainings, a lot of learning stuff. Also, my wife has been instrumental in me learning about trauma and sexual trauma and the fallout from that. And it's just, to me, it's really, if what is alleged to have happened, happened, um, it's just everything that you're not supposed to do in handling these things and people in positions of power. And as far as, you know, um, protecting victims, protecting women, um, it, it's a real, 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 real tragedy. And um, if it, I never advocate for people to lose jobs, but if it went down the way it went down, um, people there, there are people that should not be keeping their jobs up there. Um, it, it's just, horrific to hear about and so upsetting on so many levels and then seeing you know i understand that maybe the school can't say anything because there's litigation although it's not the school being sued it's like part of a title nine lawsuit with a bunch of people but maybe they can't co comment outright but you know i've seen different people in certain segments of of vermont fandom i won't say most or all at all but certain people that are trotting out these really kind of ignorant um, feelings on it. Like, well, how could she have, if she was raped, you know, why would she have stayed with the person overnight afterwards? Or why wouldn't she have pressed charges? And it's like, when you learn about trauma, you learn about that, that, that something like that, that's right. uh, a violation on that level in, in an assault and the most intimate part of our lives as humans. Um, it, it changes our brains and it damages our brains in a level that we don't act logically and rationally in the immediate aftermath of something like that. And, and sometimes people stay with their attacker right afterwards because their brain subconsciously is trying to take back control over the situation where they lost all control of the most intimate part of our lives. And there's just a lot of ignorant rhetoric that's I've seen out there in some way trying to excuse away or defend or discredit her. And, 
I feel like the university, the America East Conference, they all have an obligation to, if they're not going to comment directly on this because of ongoing litigation, you know, these are institutions, the, the University of Vermont, Vermont Athletics, the America East Conference that have been very progressive during these times, speaking out on things like racism and creating safe spaces and being allies. And, and then something like this happens in your own backyard. You, you have to do the right thing and you have to take a stance on it or else it's just empty platitudes that you're spouting out there in the, you know, in these hypothetical situations. Yeah, we're allies, but when it actually happens, we just pretend it didn't happen and we stay silent. And I just feel like there's a lot of ignorance that needs to be addressed and corrected on sexual violence and sexual assault that is not being uh is not being talked about and i see just this kind of false narrative of well it couldn't be uh, a sexual assault because the person did this or didn't do this or didn't do this afterwards and it's like that's not that's not how it actually plays out when in real life and so i went on this long diatribe here but it's very to me as someone who has loved ones that are trauma survivors, had students that that meant the world to me. Um, you know, I've moved on from that school, but uh, yeah. more because of life changes, because of what we had to move and move to a different part of the state and stuff, but it left a lasting impact. And I learned so much about the long-term fallout and effects and impacts of, of trauma and sexual violence. And to see this happen and to see it handled the way it was and to see the silence afterwards is sure. is really upsetting and, and um, I hope that they do the right thing. I hope that the university somehow does the right thing out of such a horrific situation. And, you know, if that's done, um, it will bring me back to feeling, you know, being able to be open to being a, maybe a Vermont fan again. Um, hmm. But right now I, I really just, I can't, I can't be a supporter of that athletic program or that, um, that team while this had ha- happened and how it's been handled. And it doesn't, it doesn't tarnish the love I have for the program. Historically, you know, it was right. under Tom Brennan and under, you know, th- those guys were all top notch individuals, the players, the, the, the coaches, everything. And, and I'd always heard and seen that it was such a class organization. And, um, you know, so I, I have nothing but, but love for those teams and those eras and those players, uh, affection for all of them. And I'm still putting up all these videos and stuff, which has been really fun during this time. But, but in the present right now, I don't see that I can have any sort of a connection with that university while they're handling this the way they're handling it. Well, I certainly agree and understand where you're coming from. I'm not as informed about the situation as you are, but uh, I served as a director of mentoring for nine years and certainly seeing students when the school would say, did you see the paper? It was not a positive thing. Yeah, And uh, is where we need to be a voice and stand up, whether it's racism or this situation or others, I think we've been given the opportunity to be a voice and to take that stand to, uh, um, well, to be, to inform others of what, what's been going on. So Sam, thank you so much for, for sharing that. Um, yeah. Talk to me now. You're a teacher how how are you doing during COVID with this virtual learning, this hybrid learning? How are you holding up? Well, it was, um, you know, last year when COVID happened, it was really crazy. And um, there was, I would say, right when it first happened to me, there was such a feeling of like, even though we're all apart, at least kind of we're all in this together. 
Um, and it was crazy. And I worked so much harder as a teacher during COVID than I did, uh, you know, teaching remotely than I did in person ever. You know, it was so much more time into lesson planning and uh, teaching my kids via Zoom. And, and I'm a special ed teacher. So my students have different uh, behaviors and, and struggles and, and they learn differently. And so trying to teach, it, it was so challenging. Um, and I really, I put so much more to my lesson planning than ever before. So, you know, when I see people saying that, you know, oh, teachers just don't want to be in the building. They don't want it. Like that's, that's in, in my, my experience is that is not the case there. Uh, Cause it's so much easier to teach under normal circumstances in your classroom. Um, and I had it and I had my son with me every day and I'm teaching and he's, you know, was three at the time last year and was struggling because it was his first year of preschool and then his school shut down and he had all this anxiety over all these changes to his routine and he's climbing all over me and, and, you know, putting his trumpet up to my head and playing while I'm trying to teach my kids about ancient Egypt via Zoom. So it was crazy, but I think there was, there was this real feeling of we're all in this together. And, you know, I feel like at some point along the way that, that spirit and that feeling has gotten lost, which is sad to me. Um, I'm currently not teaching right now. Um, my plan is I, to be a teacher for the rest of my life. That's what I want to do. Uh, I've been helping my wife. She launched her own private practice. Also, a big thing was just real concerns over safety, um, over uh, a whole bunch of different reasons made me at the last minute. And, and there were childcare issues and different things that made it that returning to the classroom right away was not an option. So I am unemployed right now, like a lot of Americans, which is a very scary time and a very scary position to be in. Uh, but doing the best, um, really trying to make the most of all the time with my son. Um, yeah. You know, he, uh, I got really emotional when I was talking to my wife about it the other day. Well, I guess this was like a month back now, but talking about, you know, realizing that, you know, as a parent, when he was out of school and he's you know my only child and I don't have my parents to be able to kind of pick their brain about things. And I, I feel a lot of the time, like, I don't know what I'm doing as a parent. Uh, and and when, when COVID happened and, and every day was so stressful and of, you know, trying to teach my class and trying to like worry about his development, you know, first year of school, suddenly he's not in it anymore. He had like one zoom class a week with his preschool and, and there would be all this work and activities and stuff they'd be giving us every day. But like a lot of the time it would just fall by the wayside. Like I'd be like, Oh my God, I, I don't know. All right, Jack, let's just go to the train station for two hours and we'll talk about the trains and stuff and feel great. Okay. I got him out of the house. And, and, but then you get home and it's like, Oh man, we didn't do any of this work that he has. And am I letting him down developmentally and, and be like on the verge of tears or in tears feeling like I'm, I'm letting him down and failing him as a, as a parent and not doing the right thing. But, you know, when I was talking to my wife the other, the other day or the other week, I guess, we, you know, I was saying that as, as crazy and as scary and as stressful as it was, it's really emotional to think about it coming to an end, even though it's right. for, for, for the best for him, for the best for everything, uh, you know, when the country goes back to normal and life goes back to normal that, you know, I got six months right. or however long of, of, of every single day having all this time with him. And I will never get that much time with my son ever again, you know, uh, consistently because he'll be in school. I'll be in work. He'll be growing up. You know, that's just, that's the nature of being a parent. That's the nature of kids growing up. But, but it was really, it was, it was very emotional to me. Um, 
because uh, I just felt like, man, I, I'm never going to get this time again. And uh, it is the craziest time that I've been alive and scariest and all that stuff. But there's a lot of beauty and a lot of amazing things if you look for them um, that came out of it as well. I'm not saying this is a good thing or I'm glad not at all. That's not where I'm going with it. But but just that there was a lot of beauty and a lot of amazing things that happened. Um, sure. That that I, are, are things that I will never get those opportunities again. And that's maximizing, maximizing that opportunity. Yeah. I remember I got laid off from a job way back when my son just, uh, he's a freshman in college now. And I remember that what three months or whatever it was that I didn't have a job. It was just so special to spend with my son riding bikes around the still Vermont bike path and doing some different things. And everybody told me like, Jeff, enjoy it. Cause it goes so quick before you know it, he's going to graduate and be out of the house. And you've probably heard that over and over, but I want to tell you, uh, it does go fast. And man, yeah. I miss my boy. But uh, just enjoy the moments. And what you learned from your dad, you're teaching your son. And um, man, it's just amazing that you would share your story with us. And just thank you so much for being open, honest, vulnerable, but just uh, just taking that next step forward. It's It's great. So thanks, Sam. No, I appreciate you having me on, Jeff. You know, it's been a really long time. I made me think about when we used to talk back during the, the day, you know, and, and life changes. And I guess, you know, you went on your own path and, and have maybe haven't been on the radio for a while. I kind of lost track of a lot of America East yeah. media guys, different people when I was no longer doing it. And, uh, but it's cool to see you doing it again. You're always a great, great interviewer. And, uh, I like that you get into actually what, what makes people people. That was always one of the kind of big draws about talking with you. I felt like it wasn't just like X's and O's here's who's good. Here's what's going to happen in this game. It was like, you know, talking more about kind of the human condition, which was always really enjoyable. So I appreciate it. Uh, uh, it's cool to do an interview. I haven't done one in a really long time, kind of spur of the moment thing. It was really great. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'll keep watching. You've had some good shows that I've seen. So thanks man. And we'll be in touch. And, uh, thanks so much, Sam. Again, that's Sam Perkins. You can find Tim Twitter, one bid wonders and Instagram. I love this. Echoes in an empty arena. Make sure you check out his Instagram post as well. So my name is Jeff Fuller, Jay Fuller Interviews. Jay Fuller Interviews on YouTube. Certainly subscribe there. Join the Facebook group, Jay Fuller Interviews. Instagram and Twitter. Yes, the same name, Jay Fuller Interviews. Uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks so much and uh, wish you all the best. Make time to listen to somebody's story because it will certainly make your story better. Thanks all. <laughs>